I started this company in the year 2015. The idea was to build a single platform which can help business automate their end-to-end payment flow without you know, involving human. And that was the you know goal we started seven and a half years back. Right, you are one of the largest payments platform in India. We process you know more than two billion transactions annually and moves worth fifty billion dollars of money in a year. I think in the next five years we are looking at five hundred to six billion dollars worker production because that's where the market is. There's a lot of headroom to grow. What payments is driving is, you know, making services accessible to them. Let's suppose you are a big tech company who is delivering lectures online. Without the ability to you know, collect money remotely, you can't sell the services, right? But with growth in UPI, growth in mobile phone, you can sell your educational courses to a smaller town in India and still able to collect money from them. So that is what payment is enabling. It is making sure services are accessible, you know, no matter where you are from India and in a very easy way. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Koderish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. So this week, we're speaking with Akash Sinar, co-founder and CEO of Cashfree, a leading payments platform in India. Founded in 2015, Cashfree has rapidly ascended from startup to become one of India's most successful fintechs. The company offers an end-to-end solution from accepting online payments through to making highly automated mass payouts and disbursements to workers and suppliers. We cover a lot of ground in this in-depth and frank discussion, so I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Akash Sinar from Cashfree. Okay, so today I am really thrilled to have the CEO and founder of Cashfree uh, from India, Akash Sina. Welcome to the show, Akash. How are you? I'm good, Martin. Hope you're also doing good. I'm I'm very good. So I'm really happy to uh, to have you on the show um, and dig into the the Cashfree story and explore the Indian fintech landscape with you. Perhaps to uh, kick off, maybe just to hear a bit about yourself. Um, and if you can just explain what Cashfree does uh, in a very at a very high level, and then we'll go into the detail, um, you know, in, in the conversation. Sure. Before starting it, I think I can speak about myself. I'm a software engineer by degree. I did my computer science and engineering. Graduated from college. Worked at Amazon for three years, and then started this company in the year 2015. So this company is now seven and a half years old. Right, you are one of the largest payments platform in India. Right, we largely works with businesses and helps them with payment collection for their online purchase, and also helps them make their vendor payouts at mass. Right, so it's like a platform a business can use to both collect money and also to disburse money back to their vendors or customers. The idea was to build a single platform which can help business automate their end-to-end payment flow without you know involving human, and that was the you know goal we started seven and a half years back. So we are the one of the largest company in India. We process, you know, more than two billion transactions annually, and moves worth fifty billion dollars of money in a year. That was going to be my next question. Is actually, can you give me a sense of scale of cash free? You know, and 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 yeah. you started seven years ago. Where are you now today? Um, you've already given me those numbers. 
put that into the context of the Indian market. You know, how, what is the, the, again, a sense of scale of the Indian market that you're addressing? See, Indian market is huge. Indian market is also very fragmented. But online ecosystem has been on growth for the last 10 years. But a lot of, you know, digital payments still last than offline. Right? So online economy would be, say, 6 to 7% of the total economy right now, which is slated to become 25% of the economy in the next three to four years. Let me just right? pause so there. Just... What, sorry, were you saying currently it's 6 to 7%? So online economy is right. 6 to 7% of the right. total consumer spend. And it's forecast to grow to 25% by, by when? In next five years, by 2027, roughly. That's incredible, isn't it? Right. If you just, if you just look at e-commerce market, it, mm. it will be close to around $600 billion today. And that is slated to become $1.4 trillion by 2027. So there's a huge growth in all the internet economy businesses, right? be it e-commerce, be it travel. And also there is a big growth in financial services businesses which is converting from offline to online channel. Well, that's uh, that's the eye-popping numbers, isn't it, really? Uh, and um, absolutely. So, okay, so that's the current state. And we've also got a sense of where you're, the direction you're going, and you're obviously um, um, in the flow there. Let's start, perhaps just, you know, roll the years back to the beginning of the cash-free story. And uh, just take us through the growth journey that you've been on. I mean, you know, basically, what, do, what does it take, in your experience, what, is, what does it take to succeed and, and, and build a successful fintech uh, in, the, in India? One is India's very large consumer market. And the best part is consumer behavior has been on change for the last 10 years, right? I mean, this is the, the country which has jumped from you know, cash to mobile very fast, right? We didn't have an era where people really did commerce or transaction with PC. So around 2014, 15, there was a big rise in mobile commerce, right? A lot of businesses were getting launched because they had access to a lot of customers overnight, right? You don't have to open offense store. You can just build a business on internet and you have access to 300 million customers overnight. So that was the boost. And that created a lot of new internet businesses, which are very successful right now, right? From e-commerce, hyper-local, gig economy, like, and all of the kinds like food delivery and stuff, right? So it, it started back in 2014 and 15. And that was the time we figured out this opportunity, right? We saw these are the new business models which don't exist right now. And the payment requirements are also new, which existing banks are not serving, right? So we found that gap and we believe this trend will continue to, you know, grow for next 10 to 15 years. And we could be the one who can be, you know, payments partners for all the new age businesses. And that is how we have grown our company in the last seven years. So often sort of talk about different stages of growth, right? Like the zero to one, right? You know, that, that phase. Yeah. Um, and then scaling up beyond that. Um, you know, what was it like at the beginning? I mean, how did you start up think, and make, make that initial first step from zero to one to create and create the business? Right. Right. See, I was working at Amazon. I had a pretty good idea about how e-commerce is growing and ending and cash and delivery was a big phenomenon in India, right? A lot of people didn't like to prepay. They wanted to receive the product and then they were comfortable paying, right? Given that e-commerce was very new. But cash and delivery was largely cash driven, right? And, and given that, you know, people don't carry a bunch of cash, it was always a hassle for the customer. The first product was how can we make this process digitized, right? Rather than paying on cash, can we convert cash on delivery to pay on delivery orders? Right? You can still use your digital payment method, but pay when you are receiving the product at your doorstep. Mm -hmm. That's how we made an entire market. 
and we spoke to you know more than 300 400 online merchants and we realized there is a bigger problems which we have to address right other incumbent payment companies they're not looking at the new requirements which these businesses were facing and that is the gap we wanted to solve right for example if you are running a uber like company right you can use a payment system to accept money from the consumer but still your payout to driver is was a very manual process right you have to say if you have to pay to 100000 drivers you can't do it manually right you'll make mistakes there would be delays right so what we realized there one leg of payment was automated but other leg of payment was completely manual which was error prone and it was not giving good you know quality experience to the stakeholder but with cashby you can automate both the ends you can collect money from the consumer you can leave the money in cash free itself and you can use the same money to pay up pay it forward to your vendors or your suppliers from the same platform so you can literally automate your end to end payment flow of the product without even touching the money yourself and that was a very powerful proposition we offered to all these kind of businesses be it marketplace be it hyperlocal be it gigacon because they had two sides of the stakeholders right they had consumers at the one side and they had the suppliers sellers or the vendors on the other side Who, who were helping them fulfill the order? Mm-hmm. So this idea clicked very well. So the idea of and funding your disbursement account with your acquiring or collection. acceptance pro- the collection proceeds. I mean that was yeah. that was the solution you started with. I mean that was the original Correct. concept. And that was you know pretty unique in the market. Right? No one else was offering. And it also made sense, right? You just had to integrate one API, and you were able to do both the operations. Otherwise, you had to go and partner with two separate companies, integrate and manage two different APIs, just to right. achieve the same outcome. It made the entire payment processing, you know, lesser complex, more friendlier, and that was starting point. And eventually, we discovered more problems of the fintech, be it around recurring payments, be it around you know cross border payments. And today, we have more than fifteen products on the platform, and we have good healthy mix of products used by the businesses. Right, most of the so, businesses. Yeah. Talk me through the payment methods that you support, which are which are most popular or or growing in popularity. Yeah, that is also pretty interesting in India. See, unlike a lot of European and US market, India is not a very card heavy market. I was going to say, obviously, more than- in the UK, we're very card centric. You know, uh, across Europe, it, it varies. Um, you know, but but by and large, we're card centric region. But um, True. yeah, in India, it's not the case, right? So yeah. yeah. Unlike other markets, payment execution is also a difficult job in India because you have more than hundred, hundred and ten payment methods, mm. right? You have like five to six kinds of card scheme, right? From Visa, Mastercard, Amex, Diners, and we also have a pretty popular local scheme which we say call as Rupay. Uh, Rupay is like one of the largest card schemes in India by you know volume, right? Then you have you know like. Modes around wallet. Then you have like direct debit kind of flow, which we call net banking. Right, net banking has like seventy banks on that platform. So you have to do seventy integration just to go live with this mode. So for an individual merchant, it's too difficult, right? You cannot go and integrate hundred financial partners on your own, and that you need a payment aggregator like us to make your life easier. Mm-hmm. And where does right. UPI At, like, fit into it? Fit into the landscape? Yeah. True, true. So UPI is the latest entrant. I think UPI was launched around 2017, mm-hmm. like 2017, 2018. It is one of the you know pretty large payment method. It's it's a leader in offline payment method for smaller P2M transaction, but online it is equal to card. 
right? If you look at online payment method is split, I think 35 to 40% is card transaction. The remaining 35 to 40% is UPI. And this 20% you have net banking, wallets, pay later, EMI and other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So UPI is bad again. And, and, and it's literally, see, in India, if you look at the consumer you know, spirit, there are more than 600 million smartphone users. Mm-hmm. And out of them, 400 million already use UPI. So it's a very big, it's almost, you know, like vegan in population in the United States, which uses UPI in India. But equivalent, I think there will be picks in Brazil. That would be equivalent. And then, which else? I think there are a lot of geographies which are bringing this kind of instant payment transfer methods, mm-hmm. not fueled by card. And there, there is something else in Japan, I'm forgetting the name. Mm-hmm. So there are equivalents of UPI in the world. At the same time, a lot of governments, a lot of geographies we saw got inspired from UPI, like Egypt or Turkey or Saudi Arabia. They are also trying to adopt UPI-like system in their countries. Okay, so on your platform, I mean, it, it was popular in the gig economy. I mean, if you take a particular customer segment, you know, give me a flavor of, you know, what, what the preferences are there. Yeah, in gig economy, debit methods would be popular, like debit card and UPI would be popular. Mm-hmm. Credit cards are more popular into high ticket size purchase, right? Say if mm-hmm. you're booking a hotel, slide, or any tooth right. package. So buying a, say, television or a refrigerator. In those use cases, people tend to use credit card. Mm-hmm. But for smaller ticket purchases, like less than $20 purchase, I think UPI and debit cards are more popular. And on the, that, is, is that, that's the case on the collection, but on the disbursement side, what, what, talk me yeah. through how. On disbursal? Yeah. Yeah. On, on disbursal, stacks are different. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not each stack. In India, we have a national clearinghouse, which is managed by a central bank. Right. So, which has a payment method we call NEFT. It's similar to ACH, say, in US. And then we have instant payment methods like IMPS and UPI again. Right. Mm-hmm. So for dispersal, we largely use IMPS because of instant gratification ability. We can send money to any bank account in India within five seconds. That is the power we have. Right. Imagine if you're paying to 100,000 drivers of your cab company. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. send all of them money within 30 minutes without failure. So these kind of an ability improve the experience of a stakeholder on the platform, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, it's not, if they don't use this, it normally takes two days just, just to finish the entire dispersal process. Yes. Like, you cannot do it frequently. You can only do it, say, once in 15 days. But with solution like cash fee, you can do it literally daily, right? If you have one like, you know, like drivers waiting to be paid out, you can pay them on daily basis, keep them happy and let them come to the platform again. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was the power of innovation we saw being used in the market, right? A lot of business models evolved, right? People started becoming more, you know, like user-friendly in terms of the payment flow, right? I mean, even marketplaces started paying their sellers faster, right? Gig economy used to pay their all these service providers faster. And even consumer refunds have improved, right? If you go and request refund in India, it used to be seven days cycle earlier. But with cash fee, you can process instant refund to your customer account mm-hmm. and give them literally within seconds. Um, and, it, and certainly in the in the European context, there are pockets where we, you know, use cases where there's tremendous value in receiving the payment faster and quicker or instantly. But how do you describe the situation in India? I mean, is it more 
it, 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 do the customers really value that, that faster payment, that immediate settlement? Is that? So they do. If you look at Indian internet economy world, right? It's mm. not as matured as you have in Europe and US. Mm. Right. And because of that overall trust of customer on internet businesses are, is still low compared to what you see in other geography. Right. And money becomes a big deal breaker if you delay, you know, around moving money. Right. To make sure your customer first remains intact, you have to be very aggressive in terms of giving them the safety of money. And that is where faster refund or instant disbursement really helps you keep customers attached to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe after five years, the trust will go up and customers may not care about it. But right now, they are looking for instant gratification. Because again, one is there is a low trust. A second is the income levels are also not that high. Right. right. So even though someone needs $50 in refund, it's a, it's a big deal for them. Sure. On a I, think, I think those are exactly the kind of like uh, use cases that we spotted, you know, where, where there's, there's a, I uh, utility for for instant um, yeah. refunds and payments is where there is perhaps um, an emergency situation or, or or low income you know profile of the customer. So right. that makes sense. That aligns. Um, okay. And is there scope? I mean, to what extent are these disbursements made onto card, or is it is it less so? Or no. Involved? Yeah. So disbursements to cards are not popular. We do have yeah. Visa Direct and Mastercard send rails in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? They are not, you know, what is the cost is higher compared mm. to other rails. Again, is these methods are not very, you know, popular to receive money. So in India, I mean, people, you know, like prefer to receive money into their bank accounts directly. And the rails we have built send money to a bank account of anyone in India instantly. Yeah. So okay. that is a preference. There are a few set of customers who are okay to receive money into their wallets, like so of your PTM or Amazon wallet. But large set of merchants, large set of customers, sorry, prefer receiving money into their customer account, into the bank account. So in terms of, you, you know, your growth, uh, you know, I mean, characterize what you think you did right to succeed. I mean, there's obviously many, many PSPs out there, probably started at the same time. You know, you, you happen to have survived and thrived. Others may not have. Well, what do you think you did right? I think few things. One, timing was perfect. I think we launched the company when there was a transition period. Mm-hmm. A lot of new businesses were coming yeah. and banks were not able to match their demand because the solution which banks said was largely catering to brick and mortar business mm-hmm. and offering businesses only don't have scale in terms of digital payments. Right? They don't have scale and they don't require automation while online businesses require both. So mm-hmm. that was a big gap in terms of what market was needing and what was there. So timing was very perfect for us. And second is we, you know, went after critical problems which impact businesses most, right? And that's where your business can really thrive better, right? If you go after and solve the number three problem, then they may not value much. But if you go and solve the number one problem, then they start, then they value more, right? Because you're really helping them, you know, do everything smoothly. Mm-hmm. So the choice of problem was, you know, the right. And second was timing and yeah. timing of entry. It was different. And how long did it take you to get the traction, you know, the product market fit? When did you notice that, hey, I've actually, you know, solved the problem, then there's some significant traction from the, my target customer base? I think within within the period of like 18 months, mm-hmm. I think we started this company mm-hmm. around 2015, September. Mm-hmm. By 2017, first quarter, I think we started getting good customer feedback and traction. And 
Incidentally, we also went to YC in summer of 2017, right? Y Combinator, right? So that was the period I think we started seeing a lot of good right. customer demand coming. Product got validated by then. And incidentally, a lot of our new customers were not SMB, they were enterprises, right? Because the there was a big demand in enterprise, but since they didn't have the product, mm-hmm. they were using, you know, traditional methods. And that is where we saw great growth in the scale for the company, right? Given that we started with enterprises very early, right? They started pumping volumes. We saw good growth in revenue. And we also mm-hmm. became profitable as early as, you know, within the third year of inception of the company. And how did you shift your strategy post YC, would you say, the Y Combinator period? Did you, did, what did you change or do differently or, or, or shift in your approach? Well, I think YC was good. I think we became more, I'd say, bolder after YC. I think there was some validation on the approach we right. have taken to build the company, given that it was the first accelerator slash investor on the company. So a lot of our thought processes got validated. We became more bold in approach. Right. We went after enterprises aggressively and we take a lot of big bets. Even though we are a small company with 30 per seat, we work with companies who has raised 100 million or, or bigger check size, right? And then we were able to earn that trust, mm. right? And we saw a lot of companies in India getting started on cash fee from D0, likes of Cred, MPL, Dunzo. They all started this business on cash fee and we, were, we had the confidence to match up their scale demand. Right. As they grew, we also scaled up our system, scaled up product and made sure they never face any issue when it comes to their payments processing. So that was a bigger bet for us. Right? We were not ready, but we still we signed up those clients and we were able to sustain it. And that you know helped us become you know like 5x better than other competition in the market. Okay. And on the flip side, what were some of the challenges you faced or perhaps things you may have done wrong or would have would do differently if you you know on, on in retrospect? I think, yeah, we were less prepared for COVID. I right. think COVID was a surprise for us. Right. I think, I mean, we were not very close to remote working. So before COVID, we were 120 member team. Mm-hmm. By end of COVID, we were like almost 600 member team. So majority people will be hired, you know, when hired during the long term. Right. So that was our time. We lost momentum a bit, right? The cultural growth couldn't happen the way we wanted to. But again, we caught up in last nine months. As we moved in back to office. Do you think that's important for you then to, to have that presence that, you, what, yeah. was, what was the culture that it creates? Obviously, there's a bit ongoing debate. I mean, speaking, speaking personally, we're still trying to find our feet in terms of working model. You know, we're currently hybrid and I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily sustainable, right? You know, it doesn't feel, feel as though we've, we found our feet, like I said, but, um, and, but in other markets, you know, they've committed remote working, what have you now. But what works for you as a company and why? I think the, what I observed in Indian market, mm. right, being close together really helps. Right? I mean, again, I cannot generalize it to other geographies in the world. But in India, given that you are scaling very fast, your feedbacks are coming pretty quickly from the customer and you have to react faster to that. Mm. And if you're not in proximity, right, I mean, there would be communication gap. Right, and you won't be able to execute in a pretty quick and the effective manner. Right? Well, a lot of feedbacks would be given over a you know coffee in the evening rather than setting up a one-hour call. Right, in the remote setup, what we believe things become very transactional. Right, mm-hmm. the probability of waiting something new reduces. I could be wrong, but it's difficult to brainstorm on something which doesn't have a you know short-term value. 
right? You would simply ignore it and keep it for later. You will just focus on the work at the end. But if you are here working together, you will have a lot of informal time. And you can brainstorm, bounce ideas, you can have fun, and you can create something new which no one has planned, which company hasn't planned. And this is pretty important in a startup, you know, which is growing, right? So, and that's why secondly, when startups are growing, they focus a lot on their growth. Like they focus on getting more customers, building products. They focus pretty less on documentation. They focus pretty less on, you know, getting the knowledge base, which is there. For, because that, that's something you always, you know, delegate for future. Right? For larger companies, those things are already set, so they don't have to worry. But when a startup has to go remote, right, a lot of knowledge gets lost overnight, right? Their knowledge stay just with the minds of the people. It's like right? tacit, and you always it's have tacit knowledge, right? It's not, yeah. Exactly. It's not documented anywhere. And it takes time and effort to do that. Hmm. I mean, we were also trying to do that, but it was too early for us to, you know, put our energy into that. Right? Because you'll have limited employees, you always want to focus on growth, getting more customers and, and not make them, you know, start writing documentation in a very early stage of the company. That's fascinating. I, uh, uh, that's really interesting insight there. Um, very topical. Let's talk a bit about just briefly on, on your customers, right? You know, we spoke a bit about your employees and, and, and how you've grown the business. Um, the, what does it mean to be customer centric? Um, in online payments in, in India and in the fintech industry in India? What is it? What's, what's your view on customer centricity? I think our customers are primarily internet businesses, mm. right? So, so the way to provide best experience to a customer is look for, you know, their growth avenues. Like what, what will make my customer grow their revenue? What will make my customer grow their brand? So those are the problems, you know, a payments partner has to directly address. If I can help my customers, you know, with their conversion, say if 100 customers are landing on their website, and if I'm able to influence 80 of them to make a purchase on their website, then that's a win for them and also a win for us. Right? Second is if I can help, you know, them provide best experience to their customers. Right? Suppose you're trying to, you know, suppose, you know, you're, you're selling in 180 countries, right? Someone is trying to purchase from U.S., and if I'm able to process the transaction, you know, at a low risk and on time, then you are able to create a new fit and you're also able to land a new customer. So revenue opportunities, unlocking revenue for the customer is important. Second is ease of operation. They don't have to spend one hour of daily time in just managing payments, looking at dashboard and report. That's a waste of their time. You have to make payments operations low cost, which means they have to spend, you know, minimal time on payment operations daily basis. And they can use that time to service their own customers or improve their product. Do you believe in the, uh, the, 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 the concept of, you know, embedding embedded finance where it's to the, obviously you get to a point where there's so much automation that the payments almost disappears into the actual use case or the, the customer experience. I mean, is, is that something that you aspire for, aspire to? Sorry, I did not get the question. Um, the, the embedded finance sort of, um, it, you know, concept you know, uh, is, mm -hmm. is like the Uber app concept where the, where the payment is, is integrated into the customer experience to such an extent that the user probably no longer needs to be aware or care about the payment, right? Yeah, that's there. I think embedded payments is part of customer centricity. Yeah. I think, and that is what we also focus a lot on building SDKs in a way that it blends with the customer UI, customer interface. And so that, you know, customer doesn't feel like they're leaving the merchant's page. 
right? And, and that is the part of larger growth, right? I mean, that will help me convert more customers on that platform, right? If, say, you are a shopping app, if customers are clicking on checkout at the end of the day, right? If I'm able to convert most of them, then you're able to see a grow in the revenue. But if my payment experience is bad or poor, right? Then the probability is a lot of customers will drop out and they can go to your competition, you know, call shopping app and buy from there. That's having a bad payment experience will make you lose customers for sure. But having a good one will attract more and more because they're more comfortable with the purchase. And second, they also feel safe with your you know, entire process. Right? They should feel safe that my card is, the card credential, you know, won't get stolen, right? It is safely stored. Right? There won't be any misuse. So those are the, you know, like, like comfort we have to give to the end consumer when they're trying out the payments. And, and now you have to make it fast. Sorry, go ahead. Like say entering, yes, example, entering 16 digit card number on a mobile app is not so easy, right? It takes mm. time. But I, if I can, you know, store the card, if I can use tokenization so that on repeat transaction, they don't have to enter the card, right? I mean, device can authenticate on their own. So those are the innovations we are bringing in. In future, we for two-factor authorization, we can also do face ID authentication or something or biometric. So those innovations are already in the pipeline so that the entire experience can become hassle-free and no one has to spend time on doing the payment activity. That is the goal of the company. Once you've decided these are products I have to buy, then transactions should happen in, in a minimalist possible you know, time. Um, and in terms of the your 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 uh, merchant customers, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned there was two drivers are obviously reducing cost and increasing revenue or or a recurring business and loyalty of, of the customer. Which ones? Which one are they typically focusing on at this stage? Both are important. When I mm. mentioned about cost reduction, it's largely on cost of managing a payment system, right? Not right. the you know cost. In, right? If you're a small business owner, we just have a team of five people. You cannot afford to ask one of them to manage payment gateway operation on a daily basis. You yeah. want payment systems to, as it is, without invent, investing any resources to it. So that is what I meant by cost, so that you don't have to spend time on payments. You can spend time on customer. And 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 that's true, right? Be it enterprise or SMB, all of us, all of them are looking for revenue growth. And for smaller business, it matters more, right? For smaller business, Every customer matters. Even if they lose a purchase of one single customer, it hurts them a lot. So they're trying to grow the business. They're trying to set a good brand. Mm-hmm. And every payment is important for them. For a larger customer, they see the data in form of metric. Right? They'll say, okay, 5% customer dropped out, but 95% transacted, and they are happy. But smaller customer, they don't see data in metric. right? They don't see it in percentage. They see the actual number. They'll feel 50 customers wanted to buy from him, but five of them could not. And that is the, and that's how we have to see the problems of these two kind of merchants, you know, differently. Smaller merchants need more handholding, right? They can't afford to lose even a single customer because, you know, they're trying to grow and make a mark. But bigger companies, if they're able to, as I said, right, convert 95% customers, they're happy because, you know, the scale is too high. Okay, great. Look, um, why don't we wrap, start wrapping up with, um, I mean, I'd like to return to the kind of the more general, broader topic of the Indian market um, and right. the, the future growth. Future growth for, for cash free, the company. Where do you see the opportunities? What are you looking at going forward? Uh, and then, you know, let's just finish off again with a sort of 
around the Indian the Indian Indian market itself and, and what you're seeing and the sort of key trends and drivers and what's what's shifting and changing and, and driving that enormous shift of, of payment volume online. The Indian market is huge and humongous. I think we already have one more million. But 600 million people own a smartphone. They're part of, you know, banking ecosystem, right? So customers are there. Plus, you know, the new businesses are coming up at a greater speed compared to other geographies. The GDP mm -hmm. growth is there. So overall, I think, you know, the, the customers are there. I think they have the, you know, ability to pay. They have the ability to purchase online. And businesses are also growing on the back of that growth, right? So overall, there will be big growth in the market for the next five years. And as I mentioned, e-commerce will go from $600 billion to $1.5 trillion. Travel would go from $200 to $800 billion. So there's a scope of growth in the market, right? And a lot of these transitions are also moving from offline to online. Right. And and, and is so, also part of that transition cash to electronic as well to, to, in the first place, exactly. right? Yeah. So growth is there. I think there's no mm. doubt of growth in it. That is for sure mm. for the next few yeah. years. It's where we are trying to place ourselves, right? How can we be enabled in helping new businesses launch in this kind of economy so that they become successful, right? We as a company already, you know, process, I think in the track of, as I said, one and a half, two billion transactions annually, right? We see it's growing, you know, like, you know, more than 2x, 3x in, in a year, right? And that is the growth we are aiming. By end of next year, we should be doing 4 billion transactions annually and processing, you know, more than $100 billion worth of transactions. So that is a growth we aim. I think in the next five years, we are looking at 500 to $6 billion worth of transaction because that's where the market is. There's a lot of headroom to grow. Is it regionally well distributed across India? I think, so online businesses are spread across India. Right. I think there are pockets like New yes. Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore. Bangalore, you have a lot of commerce companies coming out of Bangalore. Bombay, you have a lot of financial services businesses you know, coming out of Bombay. And New Delhi, we have businesses largely in travel and hospitality sector and few in, say, D2C and e-commerce. And then, but you have a lot of pockets in tier 2, tier 3, right? So if you look at our sign-up, more than 38% of sign-ups come from tier 2 cities from India, right? So it's not that bigger cities are creating businesses, right? Even the smaller cities in India are creating businesses. And that is the proof of overall growth in the Indian market. Right. Internet is getting faster and faster. The accessibility is growing. So there's a lot of, you know, like tailwinds around market yeah. growth. We just is have it, to be there. Is, is, I mean, would you say that the payments is enabling, you know, democratization? What, what, how do you characterize the social impact it's having? Financial inclusion? Is it making the difference that, that perhaps it should be? Financial inclusion is there. I think there are more than 900 million people in India with a bank account. Right? That's there. What payments is driving is, you know, making services accessible to them, right? Without the growth in digital payments, you can't make every service accessible. Let's suppose you are a big tech company who is delivering lectures online, but without the ability to, you know, collect money remotely, you can't sell the services, right? But with growth in UPI, growth in mobile phone, you can sell your educational courses to a smallest town in India and still able to collect money from them. So that is what payment is enabling. It is making sure services are accessible, you know, no matter where you are from India and in a very easy way. That is a, you know, power payments is delivering in market like India. And obviously there's a pretty standard use case. Smaller businesses able to, you know, sell digitally. You don't have to depend on cash. Right. I mean, it's pretty cheap in India. That's there. But other than that, on the larger scale, 
I think service accessibility is what getting so, which is pretty and, important. And you for mentioned the you're on security, right? So, so you can service security. service accessibility and and the payment and security around accessing it and paying for it, right? So. Exactly, that's important, right? And there are regulations which help us, you know, make it more secure. Right? For UPI, you can only access that using a mobile phone. You can't do it for someone else. So there are a lot of ground rules policies which make payments in India more secure than other economies in the world. It, I mean, there are more frictions here, but I think you know, customers are okay with that. You, you mentioned two-factor authentication. Is that regulated, right? Yeah, two-factor is mandatory in India for card yeah. transaction. Mm. And yeah, I mean, we comply with CDS 2.0, and that's part of the entire flow. It is mandatory. It's not an optional choice. Every transaction has to be you know, like added one more leg of the transaction. Okay, look, thank you very much for your time today. It's been fascinating learning about the uh, Indian market and the, uh, the story of cash-free. Why don't you tell the audience how best to contact you? Um, what's the best way of reaching out to you? I think we are there. We are at cashfree.com, I think. And that's where you just go there. Websites, everything is there. Yeah, we'll include that link in the show notes. Well, perfect. Thanks. Thank you again um, for your time, Akash. And um, see you next time. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions. So feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there. Or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.